feel like we should have known this already Were we even taught this at all? and welcome to Will This Be On The Test. I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk about some things, well, I know what Austin's topic is, um, but I'll still say it. Talk about some things we should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we talk about how our biggest running gag, the thing we talk about most, is back. Love is Blind. Our favorite trashy reality show. Yeah, we are back to watching Love is Blind. And we, well, it's, it's not really fair to talk too much about it because it is, you know, a, a pack of new episodes came out like yesterday. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like it's as trashy as last no. season. But the parts that are trashy, we, granted, we're only on episode, I think, five. Yeah. Um, parts that are trashy are, are doing doing the show proud. Oh my gosh. Like, I thought for a second we had three Jessicas, but man, it everything fell apart. But again, in fairness, when we watched the reunion special from season one, Jessica turned out to not be quite as Jessica as we originally thought. Oh, but man, everyone else was still crazy. Yeah, the thing to remember about reality TV is that they like to stage certain things or edit things to people look a certain way. Um, I started watching I Am Shauna Ray this week, which is a show about a 22-year-old woman who is the size of, I believe, like an eight-year-old, and she gets mistaken for one, and she wants to live life, and blah, blah, blah. There are times where her family members are asking questions that they would already know the answers to, and one of them cannot pull off the acting. (laughs) So... What do you think about this thing that I am now awkwardly wedging into this otherwise unrelated conversation? <laughs> so it's reality TV, man. It's its thing. It's, uh, so I was getting messages from her at work about what was going on in Shauna Ray. Zero context. The the I learned about this show existing in a previous text from her. And it was, I got I learned all about it. Yeah, and what's funny is it's so... Formulaic. It follows the formula for shows like these to the point where I was able to get like five work projects done. <laughs> While ha- I, I play TVA's background noise because otherwise I start to get like anxious and music is a little more distracting for me. Um, so I was listening to that and also like it's good though. I'm gonna keep watching. <laughs> um, and then we also got like a foot of snow. Yeah. And I was walking to the <laughs> dentist. And, okay, first thing to know is that when we went to New York, I got a hairline fracture in my foot, uh, like a stress fracture situation, but it finally healed, so that was great. Well, the car got stuck, so I ended up having to walk to the dentist, which is only a couple of blocks away, and I would normally have walked if it wasn't for the foot of snow, but my having to, like, you know, little kid gym class march through the snow resulted in me, you know, reopening that recently healed fracture, but that alone would be fine. But then I'm walking on the main street, which, of course, no one has shoveled the sidewalk of. And then all of a sudden, I am on my knees and then almost face down in the snow. And I'm like, I don't understand what just happened. And I was like, okay, I guess I fell. It's weird that I didn't even try to catch myself, but okay. I guess I did at the end because my face didn't actually hit the snow. 
Well, I start to stand up and my feet immediately go out from underneath me again. Like there's a sheet of ice underneath me, which I don't know why there would suddenly be a sheet of ice. But this time some guy in a van has pulled over to ask if I was okay. And he was so nice. Usually guys with vans ask if we want candy and then I get in and get candy and then I go away. He, yeah, it's weeks. true. He didn't even offer me candy. Yeah, he was so nice, but I kind of like felt down and I realized there was metal. And I was like, I don't remember there being a plate here. So I kind of reach around the edge and I realize the metal has a lip. We have construction going on and the construction guys hadn't picked up all of their signs. <laughs> and this one had fallen over and was covered in a foot of snow. I manage, it's really heavy, to like hurl it off to the side. But the number of times I tried to stand up and fell, that would have been comedy gold. I am so sad that I am not... On a viral video right now. This is why you don't make dentist appointments for 8 o'clock in the morning. No. You wait until there is heavy traffic in case you do something embarrassing so you can become internet famous. I mean, maybe it got, got maybe someone's ring caught it or like there's a security camera footage that you're on. I doubt it because I was in front of that closed down, um, that one clo- the one closed down shop on that road. Ah, uh, okay. Which is too bad. I really liked the, that shop. Like, oh, she moved. She's still there. Oh, okay, good. She's just in a different store. That's sad, though, because it was yeah. so colorful. And yeah, so that's my uh, life lesson for today is if there's a small chance of you doing anything embarrassing, make sure you have witnesses so you can become famous. And if you want to become famous in a different way or you want to help me become famous more accurately, go on to TikTok on the test pod. I'm having a little too much fun videotaping our cats for you all. I mean, our, the cats are the most fun part of us. It's like, I do post, you know, the DIY stuff going around the house. I post some of the creepy stuff happening. I post some snippets, educational stuff, a little bit of everything. But we have four cats, so obviously it's primarily cat content. Which I know, there'll be people out there going, you need to be more on brand because you're doing a podcast. I'm like, yeah, but not everybody knows about us as a podcast. Yeah. This could make them go, oh, They have cute cats. We should listen to them, which is one of the many reasons you could tell your friends to listen to us as well. We are on every podcast platform, even, you know, that one. The one that shall not be named. Mm -hmm. We're not getting any money from them, so. Yeah, if they offered us $200 I'd be right on board, but. Yeah, I think I, I think I, well, okay. Even if we were talking about any podcast, any podcaster on earth, right? I have a problem when they go completely behind a paywall. Yeah. It's kind of, but to me, uh, I guess to bring it back to Unbrand, podcasts are kind of like public school. Everyone should have the access to it. And if you want something specific from them, that's when you would pay for private school. And if we had a Patreon, that's what you would pay for the Patreon for is like you want this specific kind of content, whether that be ad free or additional stuff, whatever the case is. I would have a problem with going completely behind a paywall or completely to one one site that would make it so others can't listen. But that could be because my favorite podcast and the first podcast I ever listened to, Spooked, is now not at all available on podcast platforms other than one I did download just to listen to it. And it didn't have my other shows and it was just a lot of money for a podcast platform. So are you ready to start? Yeah, who goes first this week? Uh, I go first You do, this right? Because I, I chose one so I wouldn't be a bummer. Yeah. <coughs> yep, I'm a super bummer this week, and I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off because I researched animal testing. Yeah, we keep giving SATs to animals now, and although it is really helping us figure out that maybe we shouldn't be considering them a, a baseline for intelligence because dolphins I, are not doing well on them. Dude, and, um, I, I hate to say it, but Fezzik and Draco 
are not going to get into a good college with these scores. We need to find a like a coach for them right now. However, Gigi, like Brittany S. Pierce, has got into MIT. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's um, Mike's Institute of Tennis. She's playing tennis. Well, she's that's still really cool considering yeah. she's a cat. So, yeah. And this is a topic I was kind of hesitant to do because we are animal lovers. And at this point, I assume most of our listeners are also animal lovers because, I mean, again, the cats are the only reason you would love to us. Even I, even I know this. But even though this ranks up there with one of the most unpleasant topics I've covered, and we've covered genocide, diseases, poop, poop diseases, systemic racism, and multiple instances of cannibalism, but this, is, this one kind of got to me a little. And so what does that say about me, first of all? And second of all, it also made me realize that animal testing is an important topic for us to cover. Yeah, I think it's, you know, the idea of genocide, it's so conceptual, like, we weren't there. We didn't know these people, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like saying the word billion. People can't really grasp it. Yeah. But, you know, I had pet hamsters growing up, and I've been reading about the coronavirus testing on hamsters, and I am imagining it being my little hamsters. And not even growing up, I had one in college that was awesome. And it, you know, you if you have a specific face you can imagine, it makes it hard. Yeah. And it is still a necessary part of medical research, and though it is undeniably cruel in cases, it is one of those unpleasant, necessary evils, and we shouldn't just ignore it because it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah, and we it's one of those things where we shouldn't protest it unless we understand what's happening as well. Neither one of us is ever going to say, absolutely hurt the animals, or uh, especially if something we know is stupid and they shouldn't be testing it, like, regardless. Yeah, so... It's basically, there are humane and inhumane ways to do things. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of the things we say in our podcast intro. It's like, this is something we don't learn in school for a variety of reasons, but that doesn't mean it's not important. And don't say we didn't warn you. Yes, that's very, very, very true. We are warning you right now. And that said, if you've recently experienced the death of a hamster or something, my part's very, very different. So you can feel free to skip ahead and come back to this important topic when you're in a better mental state to do so. And so I should probably start off with by answering the why we test on animals before I cover any of the history and stuff. Mm-hmm. Firstly, it's a question of ethics. The thought is that animal life is less valuable than human life. The philosopher Francis Bacon actually included uh, in his uh, unfinished utopian manuscript, New, New Atlantis, parks and enclosures of all sorts of beasts and birds, which we had used for dissec- dissections and trials that thereby we may take light what may be wrought upon the body of man. Well, of course Francis Bacon would have to think animals are less valuable. Otherwise, he'd have to feel guilty about his last name. Yeah. His last name is delicious and he should never change. Although he might have been William Shakespeare. He wasn't. So you could, like, it's important that we have these animals for these tests. Because, again, like, people and, like, rats, there's a huge difference. Not just in size. And you could argue that people can give informed consent to be experimented on. But remember, we have a bad track record of human experimentation, including with people that, and I air quotes here, consented. Yes, just, um, and consent is also easy to fake historically. Mm -hmm. I feel like it'd be less easy to fake now with the internet and blah, blah, blah. But we had, we still actually have, I recently learned, uh, people in down south who would go in for basic procedures and they would get end up with full hysterectomies because the doctors deemed them not 
appropriate for uh, reproduction. Yeah. They remember, there are living people who were involuntarily sterilized in this country. And there is nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Not that you should be involuntary, involuntarily sterilized for very many reasons. But yeah. So there is this whole like ethical, like kind of like, yeah, but maybe not thing. But that's not actually the, that's not the real reason we do animal testing. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons, but the real reason is animals are very easy to experiment on and it's easy to have them in a very controlled, regimented thing where it's like with people, you can't control their diet, their exercise, what they've been exposed to, what they'll be, what they will be exposed to. Like you can't control their lives down to the degree degree that you can a rat or any other test animal. To eliminate all potential variables. Um, at least not over a certain amount of time, because you can do human testing where they are living in and accord- living according to a certain set of rules. Yeah. But, but it's a month max, I think. But even then, you can't know their precise history like you can with mm. a rat, rat, rat. Like, you may not know that your great aunt died of cancer, or that like maybe you, the town you lived in was downstream of a polluting chemical company. And you just might not know that. There might be things that you just don't know about your past that we can absolutely tell with these rats. Like, we've got them, like, to the level where... Truman showed. Yeah. You can, like, things like, they're even, like, genetically similar, so you can eliminate, like, a lot of history. You can have, like, very specific types of cancers that you can give these rats very easily that you can't just give a person the perfect cancer you need for an experiment. You can grow ears on the backs of mice, and they frown upon that with people. Yes. And, you know, and with the animals, uh, you can get a more complete idea of what effects the experiment had on their body with vivisection and necropsy, which necropsy is just autopsy, but for animals. Yes. And if you're ever curious to know what happened to a pet of yours that died unexpectedly, you can get those done on your animals. It is not free, but if you like want to make sure that there's nothing that it ingested or there's nothing genetic, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people just don't know they can do that and immediately go and like, go to the next phase, not know what to do. Yeah. And it's just, again, with like with a person, you can't like finish treating their cancer and say, hey, uh, I'm going to need several brain samples from you to make sure nothing weird would happen happened. But again, with rats, you can get those full like diagnostics, figure out if it affected other parts of their body. And you can check a dozen rats to make sure it wasn't just an anomaly. You can have a dozen more that you can test for long term and a dozen more in like a perfect control that didn't get a cancer treatment that you can compare things against. So, mm-hmm. again, it's it's also they are better for experiments and you can't just not treat someone's cancer with a control. I mean, there are human experiments and trials, but this way is definitely much better than finding out, oh, I'm the control group. Yeah, there's um, a sp- a new drug on the market right now, or one that they're testing, it's not on the market yet, where it's supposed to be an HIV full-blown vaccine, and it's now been given to people who are going out and living their lives, and they're going to somehow see if the vaccine worked. I'm like, how are you going to ensure that they acted in a manner that definitely infected them with HIV and the vaccine stopped it? What did you do to make... Like, this experiment scares me. Yeah. And so the we still do have to do human testing with a lot of things because animals are not a perfect replacement for people. Like there are uncountable differences between uh, a bonobo, which is our closest genetic match at 98.7% and a person. So think about how different you are from a chimpanzee. And that's a 98.7% match. Genetically. A bonobo and a chimpanzee, the same thing. Kind of. A bonobo is a type of chimpanzee. Yeah. 
but we can find like really close human analogs in nature. Like, you know, pigs have similar organ sizes and structures to us. Uh, dog pancreases were used by Frederick Banting to find out how diabetes worked uh, and what secretions from the pancreas were used to treat diabetes. And from this, he was able to chemically isolate insulin, insulin because of ex- experiments on dogs. And rhesus monkeys were essential in testing, developing, and producing the polio vaccine. And much by the way, uh, I think they still do like all of the AIDS like research and a lot of it on rhesus monkeys because they have a very similar immune system to people. Well, is that the kind of monkey that they were able to like figure out AIDS came? Because you know AIDS came from monkeys, or was that just a really horrible? Uh, I, I actually should know this. I should know this I don't, by now. I don't know. I didn't. But go, we do know that monkeys I, can get AIDS. Is yeah. the is the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, by the way, it is estimated that over 100,000 monkeys were killed just producing the live culture polio vaccines because each monkey could produce about 65 doses. And this is so for each per, for each polio vaccine, um, for every 65 polio vaccines, a rhesus monkey had to die. Yeah. No, my brain went to um, how that means that vegans can't get the polio vaccine. Uh, we have found better ways to manufacture yeah, vaccines and, now. But then I was also we thinking, don't need to grow them in monkeys. No, but then I was also thinking, because, uh, you know, we don't get polio vaccines in the United States anymore, mm-hmm. um, unless we go to certain countries, I think. Yeah. And how many people's parents got it, though? And how like the kids are now vegan, but they're only here because of polio vaccines. So they're like... They have non-veganism to thank for being able to be vegan. So, and we know we have been doing animal testing for a long time. Like we started back in ancient Greece. They'd like, again, test things. In the 12th century, uh, doctors realized, hey, we can test medical procedures out on animals before we move on to trying them on people. Like we have always used animals for testing and to some extent for things. So even with that, like you would think that, you know, with all, after all this time, like this push to, to end animal testing we've had, in our lifetimes with organizations like PETA, and that's the last time I'm going to mention PETA. Ugh. They are garbage. I have a lot to say about PETA. Yeah. We're just not going to give them any of the publicity. We're just going to move on. You think, uh, you'd think that this you know, push to end animal testing is new? Well, it isn't. There were people opposed to it back in ancient Greece, and uh, but there was a big push and organization to stop animal testing in the 1800s that is kind of responsible for groups like the ASPCA and the uh, RSPCA. I have a lot to say about those groups too, but they are not the same things I have to say about PETA. Yeah. These groups started around this time and because there was a We big... actually saw the gravestone of the guy who formed the ASPCA when we went yeah. to New York. Yep. There was because in the 1800s there was a big public outcry against animal cruelty, including vivisection. And there are actually some pretty famous people who are proponents of limiting animal testing, like Charles Darwin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's a quote from him. You ask about my opinion on vivisection. I quite agree that it is justifiable for real investigations on physiology, but not for mere damnable and detestable curiosity. It is a subject which makes me sick with horror, so I will not say another word about it, else I shall not sleep tonight. That's like me with PETA right now. Yeah. So yeah, people were upset about animal vivisection, Not, not just testing for medical purposes but it being done for entertainment like how they'd have like you know people come and watch autopsies or they would come and watch surgeries it was entertainment to watch this it was the same thing with animals people Mm -hmm. would come watch an animal be dissected to show its various organs and how things work also uh mark twain 
was also opposed to this. Oh, hey, he comes up in mind today, too. Yeah. He wrote a short story called A Dog's Tale, told from the point of view of a dog whose puppy is experimented on and killed. No, thank you. So it is nothing like the movie A Dog's Tale, or A Dog's Purpose. I don't know. I have no idea because I won't watch those either. That's like emotional manipulation at its finest. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, Mark Twain was emotional manipulation at its finest. He knew what he was doing. That movie was just garbage. And uh, English Parliament actually passed a Cruelty Towards Animals Act in 1822, which was not like for cruelty to animals, like it sounds like, <laughs> but it was against it. And it was the first big law putting limits on what could and could not be done to animals for research purposes. And then there's also the Cruelty to Animals Act of 1876, which actually put like uh, criminal, like, you know, charges associated with it. Um, yeah, it required that an experiment involving the infliction of pain upon animals to only be conducted when the proposed experiments are absolutely necessary for the due instruction of the persons to save or prolong human life. Which is kind of vague in a uh, let-me-give-you-lots-of-loopholes way, if you ask me. Yeah. Like, you'll read about these, you know, dangerous chemicals that are in the air all around us or in your Teflon pans or whatever, when in actuality, the animals they did that testing on are exposed to amounts that we could never be exposed to. It is in their bedding and their food and their water. They live completely inside of that material that would kill anybody. That'd be like saying yeah. that water is dangerous if you drowned. Like, I mean, water is dangerous because you drowned, but what, you shouldn't yeah. drink water because you drowned, because someone could drown. Yeah. So the punishment was a fine of 50 to 100 pounds and or three months in prison, which adjusted for inflation and like all that stuff is about six to 12,000 pounds of today money. And three months is still three months in today months. Are we sure? Pretty sure. Uh, America also formed a group to combat the evils of vivisection called the ASPCA, which was founded in New York City in 1866. We saw the guy's gravestone. So there was enough outrage that vivis uh, enough against vivisection that scientists, the clergy, and people over Europe and America were forming large groups that still exist today and passing laws to stop vivisection. Well, in England, America would not actually pass a national law protecting animals in laboratory settings until 1999. I actually was going to ask about that because vivisection is basically an autopsy while they're still alive, right? Yes. So your parents probably dissected frogs while the frogs were still alive. Yeah. Like if you watched, um, uh, there's a movie, I'm blanking on it from the 90s, where they put a cotton ball in and it was chloroforming the frogs and somebody decided to let the frog go. That's because the frogs were getting put to sleep, literal sleep, and then the kids were chopping them open to see how their organs still worked, where nowadays the frogs are sent to you deceased. Um, and you're talking to somebody who actually really loved those units, because I think they are important to learning biology. I couldn't have done it if they were still alive, which I know is hypocritical to many. But Yeah, so, and I'm going to talk about one specific incident, which I feel really taps into the will this be on the test spirit of things, because I'm going to talk about... Um, a group of anti-vivisectionists and an incident called the Brown Dog Affair. Now, this is not like an affair, like, oh my gosh, sex affair. This is just affair as in, like, a thing that happened. Like, there was, like, I language has changed. I don't think anyone was considering this sex with the brown dog situation. You never know. We're on the internet. <laughs> so, this whole thing happened between 1903 and 1910 in London and could best be described as a whole hullabaloo. 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 So, 
doctors at the London College were performing an experiment on a dog, a 12-pound brown terrier mix, to see if blood pressure was related to salivary pressure, and were doing so as a teaching lecture. And, but unbeknownst to them, two Swedish activists and founders of the Swedish Anti-Vivisection Society had infiltrated the lecture. <laughs> uh, their experiment involved checking to see if a previous surgery, which in which they had exposed the pancreas, had gone well. But So they had to actually cut open the healing scars to check to see that everything was healing from the previous procedure. Yeah, because they didn't have imaging yet. They did not have imaging yet. And also involved attaching electrodes to the lingual nerves in the dog's neck, which had also been exposed with surgery. Uh, and so they were shocking this dog in these nerves to make it basically drool mm-hmm. to see if it was somehow connected to pancreatic function. Okay. Uh, they had a muzzled. They had him muzzled, they had him clamped down, and we have two accounts of what happened. Uh, Some students reported the dog was struggling and not anesthetized properly. They didn't see or smell the usual apparatus used to provide anesthesia, because they were still using ether, alcohol, and chloroform, which have a strong odor. Yes, very much so. Uh, Others and the doctors said that the dog was given morphine earlier in the day and had been dosed with alcohol, chloroform, and ether before being brought into the... brought in to the operating amphitheater and the breathing apparatus that they providing anesthesia like afterwards was just not visible from the side the students could see because they were like they were in front and it was just behind the dog that sounds fake but the dog did twitch and struggle the entire lecture yeah and if they are anesthetized they should not be like you might Mm -hmm. see some minor movement because it is still a living creature but they were also they were also electrocuting it yeah, that's true. Which causes true. involuntary motion. And then when it was over, a doctor who would later go on to win a Nobel Prize... Of course. Uh, ...stabbed the dog in the neck to kill it. Obviously, the Swedes were upset. Did they warn the class that they'd be ending it like that? Uh, also, they, weren't they checking to see if, mean, a, if a surgery went well? This was 120 well? years ago. I don't know. If they, if they wanted to see if the surgery went... No, they did from the previous surgery. That one went well. But why wouldn't they want to keep this dog alive and observe it afterwards to make sure the surgery actually went well? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I didn't find their lecture notes or any of that stuff. These guys seem like assholes. Uh, so obviously the Swedes were upset. They so they protested, brought up charges of animal cruelty, and and commissioned a memorial statue of a brown dog that was put up in public with an inscription that I will read here in memory of the brown terrier dog done to death in the laboratories of university college in february 1903 after having endured vivisection extending over more than two months and having been handed over from one vivisector to another till death came to his release also in memory of the 232 dogs vivisected in the same place during the year 1902 men and women of england how long shall these things be 232 seems like an awful lot. Yeah. Um, for that year and it's a busy teaching college and yeah. Uh, now the cruelty charges uh, were brought before a judge. The judge dismissed them out of hand. It's like no, you guys were right. But an independent commission from the university determined that the school needed to change how they use live animals for testing, and they need to like have a standard for anesthetizing animals. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Obviously, however. Because of that statue and that plaque in particular, the doctors, veterinarians, and medical students were pissed. 
they called the Swed- the Swedish women who had built it hysterical. Of course, that is how all women are when they have an opinion. So these medical students decided they were going to destroy the statue, and they tried repeatedly. In one attempt, 10 medical students tried to destroy it with a sledgehammer, but only dented it the statue before two police officers arrested them. This was a big scandal, but mostly because alumni were ashamed of how few police officers it took to subdue them. And this is true. <laughs> no, I was actually thinking what a bunch of wussy med students to not be able to take yeah, down the, the statue. Exact quote was I like, can't like, imagine it was massive. It's like, I remember, it's like back in my day, I'd take 10 cops to, to stop only one medical student. <laughs> it's like, I mean, wasn't Bruce Banner a scientist? Come on. Yes, yes, he was. So a larger temp was organized in the story of the to, was organized in the story of the statue with hundreds of doctors, vets, and students basically marching to try and smash the statue. Uh, they even made handkerchiefs to commemorate them throwing it into the Thames. Why? Because they thought they were going to succeed, so they no. wanted handkerchiefs. To, don't know. It, it, was it like the day we won this? Yes, the day we destroyed this cursed statue that makes fun of us. But the police held them off again. There was some mild rioting, but the statue remained in place. Eventually, the city did decide to remove the statue because it required around-the-clock police protection, and that cost 700 pounds a year. I mean, that's fair, though. That's a fair reason uh, to take it down. The anti-vivisectionists were not pleased and casually mentioned that the city had no problem protecting the labs at a much higher expense, specifically the labs where they performed vivisections. Um... I mean, yeah. there's a lot of valuable stuff to be stolen inside the labs, yeah. if nothing else. And there are people working inside those labs who are at a physical safety risk. Where, I mean, this thing is clearly being protected by the ghost of the brown dog. Yeah. So this, this statue was taken down. But in 1985, a new statue was commissioned and put up. Yeah, do, do we know what happened to the original one? No idea. I'm assuming it was melted down. But uh, they in 1985, some animal rights activists including a celebrity I'd never heard of, uh, commissioned this new statue. So it's in London. You can see it now. So we have always had issues with animal experimentation. And as our understanding of science grows, we don't need to experiment on animals the way we'd had to 100 years ago. But we also wouldn't have nearly the understanding we have now if we hadn't done all of these experiments on animals. Like insulin, like we would, or even knowing that hormones control part of our bodies, we would not have known these things without animal experimentation. But do these ends justify the means? I think so. There were experiments that are undeniably cruel, and the knowledge gained has led to discoveries that have saved human and animal lives in the future. Yeah. Note we are only talking about medical experimentation, not cosmetics, not... Yeah, this is just medical. Not I didn't stuff wanna... that you don't need to survive. Yeah, I didn't want to go into cosmetic testing because, oh boy, that's a bummer. Also, that's a thing that I have a lot of research on already that I can yeah. just dive into. So, But again, talking about like how this these experiments have resulted in other lives being saved... I would also, in the trolley problem, I would absolutely switch the lever so that the trolley only runs over one person instead of five. Like, like immediately, without hesitation, I would flip that lever. But if it was one person versus five dogs? What kind of dogs are we talking here? Great Pyrenees. Puppies. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. You're going to have to die. <laughs> also, by the way, for a country as allegedly refined as England, as, you know, it is like, oh, we're all up a crust and wonderful... You guys start riots over the dumbest shit. Okay, though, that is... what Are you talking about England, like, based entirely on movies? Based entirely on Downton Abbey. It's like, because I've been to England, and they are as rough and tumble as they come, and so much fun. Yeah. Are you ready for questions? 
Okay, I just want to add one thing before you before you ask. Okay. Now Austin has mentioned that some of these experiments were undeniably cruel. Um and yeah, that does mean that there are certain medical ones that also weren't necessary or done in a necessary fashion. Correct. There are, have been absolute sociopaths who have done this for pure joy. We all know about the dog that they decided to attach another dog's head to to see if that could survive. Yeah, that's important to see if we can ever do head transplants. And the scary thing is it worked for a while. Um, but yeah, there are things that have been unnecessary and inhumane and we are not justifying those. And also, it's important to note that I am somebody who was watching the cooking channel. They killed a lobster and I burst into tears. Yeah, that was... You weren't there. I thought... No, you, we were watching that. It was like the worst cooks in America. No, this was... I was with my ex-husband watching this. Okay, and well, they, you, you, then you've done it twice because you burst into tears when they cook a lobster on that show. No, I turned off that. Oh, okay. Because uh, with this one, they, they took a hammer and bashed it in the head and they didn't warn you that they were going to be doing it. And I... Burst. I don't eat lobster anyway, but I, and I'm somebody who has almost become a vegetarian many, many times. And I still think that animal medical testing is necessary. I also think that that dude that we have the pig heart in was the perfect candidate for it for. Mm. And I hope that the family of his victim finds some peace. So questions. Will it, this be on the test? Will it be on the test that it is not ethical for doctors to kill their patients to see how well a treatment worked? Yeah. We'll be on the test that people are less useful than rats for experiments. Yeah. We'll be on the fact that we'll be on the test that we killed hundreds of thousands of monkeys to cure polio. No. And will this be on the test that Charles Darwin fought against animal cruelty? Yeah, he's he's somebody who should be talked about more anyway. Yeah. Like I like this part because doing this research, like I had no idea that Charles Darwin was involved in like, you know, opposing animal cruelty. Like, all I ever learned was about evolution and the beagle in the Galapagos Islands. So I didn't know about this entire aspect I learned, like, of this person. about him. But I think the years you learned about him were probably the years I was in Catholic school. Oh, yeah. And I will say, my Catholic school did not not believe in evolution. It just wasn't supposed to be taught. Yeah, unlike Shana. So, yeah, ni- ni- nice little fact about Darwin. I didn't know because I only ever learned the one aspect of him, and he was a multifaceted individual. All right. Do we want to pause since you're busy tonight? I think we do. Okay, uh, so hopefully this works. Um, but you can take your intermission now because we are going to have to take back up recording in the morning. So that also means that obviously you're going to have to wait hours for the second half of this episode, not just a pause. So let's all go to the lobby and have ourselves a snack. And we're back. Hope you had a nice intermission. I'm I'm sure it took the entire um, 15 hours. Yep. I got popcorn, and I've been eating popcorn for the last 15 hours, and I never got full because it was an intermission. Okay. <laughs> you seem like you're confused by I my am. perfectly logical statement. Well, I'm thinking about when I've gone to uh, plays where they had intermissions. It's usually alcohol. They sell alcohol. In, um, in our case, we got the alcohol. You got alcohol. You don't drink. Uh, just because it had the uh, souvenir cup, and Austin cannot yeah. resu- like cannot resist a souvenir container of I any sort. Straight oh, up, I guess, can't. Okay, during no, it wasn't intermission, but you got popcorn at theater in the park because of the souvenir bucket. I'm like, what the fuck are we gonna do with this? Uh, but next time we go back to theater in the park, our popcorn is only a dollar. Really? So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's currently just sitting Boom. in our kitchen on the display shelf. It is displayed. Hey, um, I appreciate a good deal, and I feel like everyone who comes into our house will see that and think, oh, they got a good deal. 
Yeah, we actually have one of those. We're a patron of the arts. We have one of those old school look at our plate collection display shelves. Currently, it's got Legos on it. Legos. And then like it's we just use it as extra storage for things that we use just often enough. Uh, we're probably going to get interrupted a few times, too, because we have a grocery order. <laughs> we have excellent timing. We are. We thought this through. Are you ready to get started? Yes. So if you skipped over Austin's part, now is the time to be back. If you didn't skip over Austin's part, be ready for one that's way less of a bummer. Ooh. Usually, like, you're the bummer and I'm the funny one. Well, I mean, there were, like, there are a couple little bummery moments in this, um... The big bummer actually was like only tangentially related, so I left it out. I might do a TikTok over Bummer and Lazarus, and yes, Bummer is one of the names in it. <laughs> That's but, a literal bummer. But there wasn't enough on Bummer and Lazarus for, Lazarus for a whole episode. So what I am here to talk about today, Joshua Abraham Norton, also known as Norton I, Emperor of the United States. Oh. And I do mean... Emperor of the United States. I didn't know we had an emperor. And this was well after we were America. We were, by this point, you know, we had states to be united. So things with Norton were interesting from the start. You guys know that I love to cover, like, these characters from history, which always means there's a lot of myth and legend and murkiness around them. And this turned out to be another one of those. We don't even know for sure when or where he was born, <laughs> even though we know exactly who his parents were and that they were part of the 1820 settlers, which has nothing to do with the United States. Um, that basically was a group of people chosen uh, to help colonize South, South Africa from England. What? We know he was either a baby or a toddler when they went there. He had a sister who was born in route. Uh, we know his father, John, was a farmer and merchant when they lived in England, and his mother was the daughter and sister of another merchant. Well, not the same merchant. Two separate merchants. He was, it was not a... Uh, Natalie and Stephen? We also know they were Jewish, which is just interesting because it doesn't really line up with the kind of folks the English typically sent to colonize. It doesn't really play into the rest of his story. Just... An interesting note. Now, here's the most amazing thing. I'm gonna. Uh, I get a good amount of my information from them, but not all of it. There is an entire nonprofit organization dedicated to the legacy of Norton. They have done a ton of extensive research, um, and they believe that Norton was born on February fourth, eighteen eighteen. They've also determined Joshua had a brother named Lewis and a younger brother named Philip. Oh, Philip was the one born en route to South Africa. And that his father started a chandlery when he got there, which is a place that makes candles, sometimes soaps. If it's made out of wax, he made it. Oh, that's why they call it a chandelier. Yeah. I'm learning so much today. Additionally, he had nine more siblings in the next 10 years. Ow. Ow. Same mom for all of them. That's that's 11 kids. That's 11 Uh, too many. 12 kids. 13 kids. That's 13 too many. Mm Mm-hmm. The circumstances of Norton's arrival in San Francisco, which is where he eventually ends up, also shrouded in mystery. Some stories say that he had some kind of enormous wealth. Others say he was penniless. I saw something stating he had taken an inheritance from his dad as his dad outlived his brothers, making Joshua the heir. Except Joshua went to the United States before his dad died, and his dad 
hated him, saying in a letter that Joshua had been the ruin of the family. <laughs> like, actively disliked this human being. Now, we are fairly certain that Joshua actually went to Boston before going to San Francisco because there are boat records indicating he was on that boat. We don't know what he did in Boston. And according to an interview with him in 1879, he got to San Francisco on November 5th, 1849, by way of Rio de Janeiro and Valparaiso. I have no idea where Valparaiso is. I think it's in the same basic area as okay. Rio. Um, basically, he was in South America. We don't have any like real collabor- collabor- corroboration of this. But it does seem like the most likely thing to happen because we don't have a whole lot of records of him being in Boston. And somehow he did have money when he showed up. So it is largely believed that he had some kind of um, fairly successful business dealings in South America. It's frequently said that he had $40,000 when he arrived, which is nearly $1.5 million today. Again, people are like, well, he got the inheritance because everybody else was dead. Yeah. But when his dad died... His dad was also penniless. Ooh. Yeah, and he partially blamed Joshua for that, as I understand Maybe it. Maybe Joshua robbed him. That's where he got the money. So where did the money come from? Now, it could be an inheritance because his dad did die at some point. Or he could have found some way to earn money in South America or Boston. No one really knows. Even the Emperor Norton Trust writes about this at length as a bit of a great mystery, including the fact that the $40,000 sum seems to be largely from his obituary and later perpetuated by a man named Robert Ernest Cohen, who doctored articles about Norton to support his own claims about Emperor Norton. Okay, want to hear my theory on how he got the money in South America? Mm-hmm. You remember the TV show from Nickelodeon that you told me about, The Legends of the Hidden Temple? I can't believe you never saw Legends of the Hidden Temple. Well, anyway, that's based on his life. He managed to completely assemble the monkey statue, and that's how he got the money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that perplexed so many children but emperor norton he bested all those children he made it across the river to begin with yeah other people leave out the amount when they're doing reports some say he had money but ultimately we have zero idea about how much money he actually had <laughs> but he must have had some because he opened a business in commodities and real estate in san francisco in the 1800s oh Most accounts say he became worth $250,000 within three years. I didn't do the math on that one. But nothing substantiates any specific amount. (laughs) We just know it was a lot. Like, this guy was extremely wealthy, part of the elite social scene. He was accepted in California, despite being a ferner, um, and a Jewish one at that, who had made all this money. He was, like, just accepted. As part of this high-level social scheme. Uh, scheme. That actually, scheme. I was going to say scene, but scheme actually seems kind of accurate. The social accurate. scheme. Then along came December 1852. China had a famine and banned the exportation of rice, leaving San Francisco without any rice. The price more than quadrupled to 36 cents per pound. The horror. Then Norton heard about a ship called Glide coming in from Peru carrying 12... Are 200,000 pounds of rice. He bought the entire amount for 12.5 cents per pound, more than the previous rate, far less than the going rate. He was going to corner that rice market and be the king of rice. 
But then Peru was like, Haha, motherfucker, and ran in with several more shiploads, which were purchased by other people, which made the price of rice lower than it had been before China's exportation thing. No. Norton actually tried to go after the contract uh, holders, saying they lied about the quality of rice in a fight that would go on for three years. He actually won repeatedly in the lower courts, but then the Supreme Court of California ruled against him. He was foreclosed upon to pay his his debts, and in just about six years, he went from exorbitantly wealthy and respected to bankrupt and living in a boarding house. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second and have Austin describe two different pictures for you. This is about the time when Joshua Norton arrived in San Francisco. Tell people what he looked like. Um... A, he's a balding middle-aged man with a glorious mustache mutton chops combo and one of those like a droopy bow ties and the fancy little black buttons on his shirt thing and he's looking straight ahead and he's got like he's got an ear he's definitely got one ear i can't see the other but yeah he looks like, like a, a perfectly respectable yeah, businessman he looks like a, res- perfectly respect- a respectable businessman and then this next one i'm kind of awesome to describe it's not directly after declaring bankruptcy but this is what he ultimately built towards. Okay, you know um, when you go to like the state fair and those those photo booths where you can dress up as a cowboy and they take the black and white photo of you? Mm-hmm. It's that. He's got on like the epaulets, the, yes. the shoulder things, brass buttons. He's got a sword um, and a hat with a feather and a crazy goatee. And he is not looking at the camera. He's looking off like he's going to stab someone. And he also is missing a button on his jacket, I just noticed. He looks wild. He looks glorious. It's like, yeah, and his, oh man, his shoes are rough. Yeah, but he still looks like an emperor. Yeah. So this was a blue uniform. It had gold-plated epaulets, which were given to him by officers of the U.S. Army Post at the Presidio of San Francisco. He wore a beaver hat decorated with a peacock feather, and it is a top hat. Oh my. And a rosette. And he often carried a cane, umbrella, or sometimes that sword. Basically, he had gotten fed up. He thought the legal and political setup of the country was harming its people, and he delivered a letter to the San Francisco Daily Evening Bulletin, which read, and I quote, At the peremptory request and desire of a large majority of the citizens of these United States— I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and ten months of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself emperor of these United States, and in virtue of the authority thereby in me invested, or thereby in me vested, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the union to assemble in music hall of the city on the 1st of February next, then and there to make such alterations in the existing laws of the union as may ameliorate the evils under which this country is laboring and thereby cause confidence to exist both at home and abroad in our stability and integrity. Michael, you can't just say you're emperor. <laughs> in other words, he declared himself emperor of the United States and ordered representatives from each state to come to change all the laws under his direction. Okay. This was posted in the news in the newspaper kind of as a joke. They thought it was funny. He was 100% serious. He had decided he was emperor and that these government officials were there 
to serve him at this point because fuck these laws, fuck the way people here are treated, fuck the fact that the Supreme Court ruled against me, and like we're coming out of the Civil War at this point. We have a lot of the anti-Chinese things happening, and he is just done with this country. So he has decided he can rule it better. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree at this point. You can do a better job than us. He issued a ton of decrees during his reign, which I believe lasted 21 years, including abolishing Congress on October 12th, 1859, saying they weren't listening to their constituents and openly disobeying laws themselves. Huh. Shocking, that one. Mm-hmm. When they didn't do so willingly, he called upon the, the army to depose Congress. The army did not acknowledge this. <laughs> I mean, he obviously had made friends at the one army post because yeah. they gave him his uniform and stuff. I wonder if they, like, after he said, like, it's like, you guys need to depose Congress. And they're like, what? I feel like uh, this was more of a, yeah, we need the whole army to agree on this kind of situation. <laughs> because as we know now, the members of Congress frequently are not listening to their constituents no. and are not necessarily obeying the laws of this country. I'm not naming names, and it's on both sides. Yeah. So... But like, if you they're like reach out to your congressperson, you'll get a form letter back if you're lucky. Yeah. He would later order the entire country to disassemble, ban members of Congress from hanging out at all, and for the Catholic and Protestant churches to publicly name him as emperor because he wanted to resolve the issues that had been left over from the Civil War and believed he could unite people from both sides if all Christianity was on board, which probably yeah. isn't wrong. Yeah. It's like, maybe I should just declare myself emperor. You know what? Uh, podcast listeners, you hear, you're hearing it here first. I'm announcing it. I am emperor now. Um, emperor Austin the first. Emperor of the Austin States. the first of the United States. Please um, send me taxes in the form of cheese. Thank he, you. That is all. He also abolished uh, the two parties, saying that they would just cause more problems than they solve. Yeah. And he may or may not have banned the word Frisco in reference to San Francisco. <laughs> huh. Do the people in San Francisco hate that? I think so, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and here's where things, like, that is actually frequently attributed to him because he really did love San Francisco. And he and chances are he would have found that insulting. But we also know that there were people writing letters to newspapers claiming to be him. So we can't be sure that he wrote this, but it said, whoever after due and proper warning shall be heard to utter the abominable word Frisco, which has no linguistic or other warrant, shall be deemed guilty of a high misdemeanor and shall pay into the imperial treasury as penalty the sum of $25, which was a decent amount of money. Yeah, he's not messing around. Mm -mm. We do know this was him. He tried to form a League of Nations. Ahead of his time. They would not be formed until 1920. He was incredibly ahead of his time with a lot of the decrees he made. So he tried to form a League of Nations. He banned discrimination or violence between religions, which is now an official law as well. You can't discriminate or, of course, commit hate crimes based on religion. He decreed money should be set aside to make a very logical bridge from Oak Point, I have Oak Point Point written down, uh, and uh, via Goat Island and a tunnel in the same basic area. And when this didn't happen, he ordered the arrest of everyone who decided those wouldn't happen. So basically he said, hey, we should make a Golden Gate Bridge and a subway tunnel. Yeah. This man, was he a time traveler? 
while those were both built well after he died, the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge and the Trans-Bay Tube. So yes, time traveler. he might have been a time traveler. time traveler. And in modern San Francisco, he would not stand out dressed like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we walked by, like, three guys dressed exactly like that in New York City. Like, yeah, didn't you go to any major city, nobody's going to look twice at the people in, like, the outrageous outfits. And it's amazing. Yeah. I feel like that's part of why cities are my home, is I can wear whatever I want and nobody will look. Of course, not everything was a big decree. Most days, he just walked the city and, ins- and inspected everything, like the sidewalks and the cleanliness of the streetcars, and made sure people knew when he was displeased with the upkeep of his city. He would also gladly just talk to people on the street about philosophy and philosophize at them and things like that. He was actually a highly involved, hands-on leader. Everybody knew who Emperor Norton was, and... It wasn't infrequent people to stop and talk to him because he was interesting. He also hung out with a pair of dogs named Bummer and Lazarus. He was, co- he was frequently misnamed their owner. He was not their owner. They would just meet and be like, let's hang out. And then they would go to diner counters and eat for free together. Okay, that's... I kind of wish I had like two dog best friends who I didn't own. They just, come, they just came to hang out with me. Yeah, Bummer and Lazarus Lazarus are an actually really interesting story because there was a huge stray dog problem in San Francisco at the time and people would frequently kill them. Bummer and Lazarus, though, were excellent at getting rats. And so Bummer and Lazarus were local celebrities and allowed to do what they wanted. He also issued his own money, which were all promissory notes. Oh, man. Okay, uh, second decree of Emperor Austin. I can issue my own money. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you are paying Emperor Austin, but any payments he makes are IOUs. Yes. No, no. These are promissory notes backed by my vast stores of cheese. More valuable than gold it is. Some restaurants actually took his promissory notes. (laughs) Again, a lot of people liked him. Not everyone, but a lot of people. He was rumored to be the son of Napoleon III. Of course, he was not. And when the French invaded Mexico... People were like, all right, you're that guy's son, the one who just invaded Mexico. You need to name yourself Protector of Mexico. And he was like, bet. (laughs) And he named himself Protector of Mexico. But he later revoked it saying, I can't help Mexico, so I have no right to this title, basically. Look at that. So, So wise. This is the wisdom you look for in a leader. He also repeatedly wrote letters to Queen Victoria proposing to him because proposing to her because it would unite the two countries. She ignored the letters. How dare she? I know. Now a lot of this She should be so lucky. A lot of this came across as nonsense, obviously. People legit also thought he was insane. He was declared insane, and some people even tried to have him arrested and forcibly institutionalized because he was insane. Now, has he done a single thing here that actually hurt anybody? No. no. Like, at most, he was being mildly annoying. He wasn't even out there begging on the streets. He was just talking to people, and people were like, I like you, like, give him free food and stuff. Like, it doesn't sound like at any point people gave him money. It was just him chilling. But in the 1870 census, his career was listed as emperor. (laughs) And the census allowed it. Yes! Emperor is a job recognized by the U.S. government, and I shall take it. It was then, anyway. Um, he was also listed as insane on the census, apparently. Oh, perfect. I'm already listed as that. This will be Mm -hmm. easy. But he also would go to things like rallies, uh, as the counter-protester. Sometimes the sole counter-protester. He would stand on a literal soapbox, sometimes for the day before, and just shout out why the people protesting were wrong. 
he would sometimes shout out that out at them about why they're wrong. This was during the like height of the anti-Chinese stuff. And he was like, are you kidding me? We would not have a country if it wasn't for the Chinese coming here and helping us build it. So he was like, stop being racist assholes. We just had a whole war over this and you see how well it went for the racists. So let's stop this. He lost every time. Like at no point did he convince people to stop, but he was out there trying. Um, There were other people who like agreed with him. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors got him a new uniform when his uniform needed replacing. But here's the biggest one. This is important, and this is why he is a legitimate emperor of the United States. And I do mean a legitimate, recognized emperor of the United States. He, in addition to repeatedly writing to Queen Victoria, wrote to King Kamehameha V, the king of Hawaii. Ultimately, Kamehameha was like, fuck you, America, and declared he accepted Norton as the true ruler of the United States. And he refused to speak to any American government representative unless they were representing Emperor Norton. I couldn't find anything about what happened after uh, Kamehameha died, and this was near the end of Kamehameha's life. But at the time, Hawaii was a separate country, which means he was recognized legally as emperor by a foreign government. Way to go, Norton. Good job. Of course, as he continued, more and more people used him to their for their own agendas. Um, I did mention already that people issued fake decrees in his name in newspapers to the point where he was like, okay, fine. I have an official newspaper now. It was the Pacific Appeal. He named it his official news source in 1871. If it's not printed in there, it is not real. The Pacific Appeal was a Black-owned, Black-managed newspaper. Time traveler! Yes. And people actually would buy it so they could see what Emperor Norton had to say. So this dude was like, why are we hating on the Chinese? Why are we hating on Black people? Why are we hating on people who don't have the same religion as us? Can we please chill out? Also, U.S. government, can you stop breaking laws in front of all of us? What is happening? This place is a hot mess, and I love San Francisco. Can we stop, like, messing with things? Wow. Yeah, it's like, uh, Emperor Norton? Like, yeah, I'm, I would recognize him. Like, mm-hmm. And you still get to recognize him because there are, like, Emperor Norton festivals in San Francisco. Why are we not... Going to San Francisco and for one of these Emperor right now. And the Emperor Norton Trust is still very much around. You can become a member of it. <gasps> this dude was basically super not racist, was tired of the inequity, tried to improve international relations, even with places where we weren't. He was well-liked by most people who, even, who encountered him, even if they thought he was crazy. He tried to improve San Francisco, even by minor things like, hey, can we fix this sidewalk and wash the streetcars more often? And it seems like he never begged for money. So a lot of people assumed he was secretly rich, because how else is he surviving? Well, on January 8th, 1880, Emperor Norton was walking to a lecture at the California Academy of Sciences when he collapsed on the street. Since he was well-known and was immediate, it was immediately considered an emergency, the police were nearby, they called for assistance, but he died before the carriage, which was an ambulance, arrived. No. The rumors of his wealth were quickly dispelled. It was found that he had less than $10. Uh, He had a collection of walking sticks, a bunch of hats, and some kind of sketchy bonds he had sold to tourists. (laughs) He also had fake... This is where things get a little weird. He had fake telegrams that he had, like, made um, 
congratulating him on his marriage to Queen Victoria. Oh, no! And also Telegram saying, you know, maybe we should get rid of this marriage because it's actually going to cause more problems than it's going to solve. And So he had created this, like, entire life and was ready to, like, have it, but he also never published it, so maybe he didn't. And he had copies of these letters he had been writing, which is how we know who he was writing letters to. He made copies of them. Um, And he had, like, printers who were willing to work with him on things like printing the money. Like, he was well-liked. He was supposed to have a pauper's funeral as a result of his complete lack of funds. But a group of businessmen were like, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing that. This is Emperor Norton. So they put together a fund so he could have an elaborate funeral. I read everything from miles of up to 30,000 mourners to just a couple of blocks with maybe 10,000. But either way, people did notice and care that he had died. He was buried in the Masonic Cemetery and then later moved to the Woodlawn Memorial Park Cemetery in Colma, California. I don't know why he was moved, but that is a pretty well-known cemetery. And as so often happens with unusual historical characters, his legacy lives on in fiction. I told you Mark Twain shows up in mine. Yeah. The King in the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is based on him. Ooh. I've never read Huckleberry Finn. Sorry, English teacher. I was supposed to. He was a character in the Robert Louis Stevenson novel, The Wrecker. He is believed to be the inspiration for Le Emperor Smith, a comic book from the 80s. He is in the comic book, The Sandman, edition three Septembers in a January, which I forgot to write down the authors of, but I believe that's one Neil Gaiman. Yep. And he's shown up in a bunch of different t- TV series set in the time. He is also an important real life figure. He is considered a patron saint in the religion slash philosophy of Discordianism, which is based around the goddess of chaos, which <laughs> I'm not going into. There's a place called the Republic of Melosia, a micronation near Dayton, Nevada, where there's a park named after him. Yes, micronations in the United States do, in fact, exist. This is something I've considered talking about. Not worth getting into today. A plaque commemorating him has been moved several times. The goal was to put it by the San Francisco-Oakland Bay Bridge since he had petitioned so hard for that, but it has never been allowed there. There have been many public efforts to get that name bridge, that bridge renamed after him, especially by the Emperor Norton Trust, which used to be called something about the bridge. Um, the big question, of course, though, is was he was was he insane? What do you think? I'm going to say like everyone's insane. First of all, I'm prefacing with that, but he was not as insane as you would think. I don't think he was. Yeah. I think he was fed up, and I think he created a character that would work very well in he like he used like the psychology of how humans work to create this character that would be both appealing and eccentric enough to be noticed and he created these actually very responsible well-written and intelligent decrees for the most part that were not likely to actually he didn't actually believe that these things would happen it was more to draw attention to the fact that these issues were there and so he created like Early Lady Gaga created this character so that she could later become the Lady Gaga we know today. Uh, committing murders with a bad Italian accent. Sure. Um, while Emperor Norton created this character, probably has no intention of ever going back to his former life, but just so that this would stick in the minds of people, which it clearly has, and some of his ideas have been brought to fruition since. So I don't think he was insane. I think this was calculated. And that is the story of the legitimate Emperor I'm pronouncing legitimate wrong. Legitimate emperor of the United States, 
Joshua Abraham Norton the first, and now we have Austin the first, the new emperor of the United States. So you need to start writing to oh, other countries. Look at that! I've got the first person to recognize my authority over this country, but not your authority over me. No, she uh, she is actually a micronation consisting of only herself. Mm-hmm. We've been over this. Yeah. Are you ready for your questions? I'm ready for my questions. Was this fun? Yeah. There was once an emperor of the United States recognized enough to actually be remembered as such. Will that be on the test? Yes. The king of Hawaii refused to recognize the U.S. government and listened to him instead. Will that be on the test? Yeah, that'll be on the test. At least a few of his proclamations came to be after his death. Yes. Including a fucking League of Nations. Can you believe it? Yeah. Um, And then will this be on the test? Money can't buy happiness, but maybe an awesome pair of epaulets can. You know, I, I think I would be happier if I had some golden epaulets. Yeah. And so that is Emperor Norton and uh, a horrifying tale of animal testing. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad I went first. Yes. That was calculated for me today. It was like, okay, I had a different story planned altogether. And it wasn't a huge bummer or anything, but I wanted something that was a little more uplifting. And like, it was kind of sad that he had to do this, but it was cool that there was somebody doing this yeah and he was like i really do believe that he was intentionally being eccentric so he would be noticed and people would at least read what he had to say and clearly it ultimately made it stuck in people's minds enough for things to change later but not in queen victoria's no queen victoria she sh- can you imagine how different the world would be if she just married emperor norton <laughs> i i cannot <laughs> I cannot picture that world. Now, the question is, would she have been expected to move to San Francisco? Because I don't feel like he would have moved to the UK. Or would this have been a long-distance marriage? I think it would have been a long-distance relationship. Yeah. And then they would have created the movie You Got Mail, but with literal mail. And they're not Tom Hanks, because Tom Hanks isn't crazy. Well, You Got Mail, as you know, is based on She Loves Me. Ah. Which is better than You Got Mail. It is. So... I hope this all worked because we did have to like pause. It's the first time we've ever had to pause mid-episode because Austin has friends and had to go play Dungeons and Dragons. I have friends. I definitely have friends. So let's talk about where people can find us. Why they can find us on TikTok at On The Test Pod. They can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash On The Test Pod. On Twitter at On The Test Pod. On Instagram at On The Test Pod. And our website, onthetestpod.com. Which is actually coming together. The transcripts are starting to go back up. Um, I'm, it looks better than the old website did. It's not quite as functional yet, but we are there and we are, I am working on it. Um, when I have time because, you know, job and other job and having to monitor this emperor to make sure he doesn't make poor decisions. Listen, I'm, I'm sorry. I declared war upon the neighbors. We like our neighbors. Which ones did you declare war on? The ones with the backwards barking dog. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have withdrawn the troops from the area. Okay, good. The because... cats are our troops. They were not complying. Yeah, I can't explain the backwards barking there dog. There was a mass mutiny. But guys, if you heard this dog, you would understand. Its bark sounds like it's going into its mouth rather than out. It is so bizarre. And I've heard dogs that have had their uh, vocal cords removed. It doesn't sound like that. Um, but that is really horrifying to listen it's to. Kind of, it's more like an hope. Yeah, it's weird. I've never heard a dog that sounds like this, and I've been around a lot of dogs. Um, So remember, we are here every two weeks now, and still on Tuesdays. 
I am currently most active on TikTok, but the best way to reach us is still via Twitter because our email box is full of junk. So the contact form on our uh, website, I might see it, but I need to actually like filter out these emails. (laughs) Guys, running a podcast, it's fun. I'm glad we're doing it, but it is like, I'm impressed by these people who make a career out of it. That said, if we were to make enough money, I would absolutely make a career out of this. This is fun. Yeah. I love my job though. Me too. I, I also love my job. But if we had a uh, if we had a lot of money, we could hire an assistant. I've always been assistant. A Jonathan, like on that Dr. Glaukenflecken, who I like on Twitter. We just put him in the closet to charge overnight. But we like but our closets are recording studio. We can't leave him in there. We've got other closets. But they're full of our treasures. What treasures? We have at least. I have a pair of. Um, you have a beanie baby that might be worth something. We have a few beanie babies that might be worth something. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've got some Imelda Marcos dolls, but I've looked that up and they're worth very little and I wouldn't get rid of them anyway. Um, so yeah, don't rob us. It's seriously not worth it. Yeah. Um, and on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.